0: Welcome to this week's episode of Not d brought to you by E.N. World Live. As always, I'm your host, Jessica. Apologies, we were away last week because I completely lost my voice. But it's back now, and I have an excellent guest with me here. Momatoes. thank you so much for joining us.
1: Oh no, it was smiling to lose my voice. Hello, you
0: Jessica. See, I'm sorry. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming on. I'm so excited because this week we're going to be talking to you um about ARC, the Doom Tabletop RPG. Uh we are recording it live. Uh so if you're here and in the chat, hello, uh, you didn't miss it, welcome. Uh, please jump in and ask any questions. Uh this is just gonna be an informal chat. Uh so do ask any questions and join in and we'll try to answer live. If you're listening to the podcast, uh, then any links that we talk about are linked in the show notes below. So uh, you don't have to search around on the internet, you can just go and click there. Uh, okay, so we'll be talking about ARC, the Doom tabletop RPG, which is absolutely beautiful. It's a stunning uh, book in terms of visually and in terms of game design, so I'm so excited to have you on. But before we talk about the game, I would like to talk about you, if that's okay. Um, so one of the first things I want to say is congratulations on the Diana Jones Award for Emerging Designer Program winner for 2022 last year. That must have been fantastic to get.
1: Yeah, uh, I was surprised by it because I never expected to receive such a prestigious award. But it was a really amazing feeling. Um going there as well uh, last year mm-hmm. and as well as Gen Con, being able yeah. to meet many people, having mm-hmm. lots of wonderful opportunities. So I was really really excited and I felt really grateful for receiving that award.
0: Well I th- it seems like it's very well deserved because I going to talk about you and, and all the things you do in the RPG space but going back in time what was your first um kind of role-playing gaming experience that you had or that you remember? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, in college, I played D&D. That was actually my first experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe it was Dungeons and Dragons, fourth Ed, with a group mm-hmm. of people from my Japanese appreciation club. But okay. even before then, I had a lot of interest in the D&D world. Um, as mm-hmm. a teenager, I was really immersed in the world of uh, the Dragon Lines trilogy. So oh, it yeah. proved to be a form of escapism and joy mm-hmm. for me. It Made me really excited to play Dungeons and Dragons
0: later in mm-hmm. life. Amazing! So you can picture yourself being the heroes when you're reading the books and things like that. So yes, <laughs> that's awesome. So um, your game isn't very D and D. I'd say it's far more indie and rules light. So did you start exploring other more rules light systems, or or was this just something you've made on your own? What What was your journey to getting to this very different sort of game?
1: Mm. So I tended to uh really like OSR games So there are some OSR games that are crunchy There are some that are lighter side But I remember playing, in particular, Macchiato Monsters And it made me really excited And it was really interesting, especially in the uh, how it used usage die how it used uh, several monsters and I thought it was like the perfect plan of being a uh, real slight but also having some crunch as well.
0: Absolutely so how did you become somebody that obviously plays games enjoys games how did you become somebody that created games and you know created Arc? how did how what was that journey like?
1: To be honest, it was FOMO, (laughs) (laughs) because there were a lot of RPG creators in my country, the Philippines, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. there were also many of my friends, so I was swept up in their passion for game design, so I thought, maybe Mm -hmm. I should try it out for my own, and it ended up being a very rewarding experience. I'm really glad that I embarked on that journey. Fantastic. So
0: leading us into kind of Ark and and talking us about that if people aren't familiar with the game and haven't heard of it how would you introduce it to them
1: Mm. so basically you are heroes fighting against an incredible apocalypse that will happen on a world that you love (laughs) and also, you have to contend with that doom happening in real time. So you're being threatened by a real-time clock that ticks down to the apocalypse. And you will have skills, you will have magic, you will have tools at your disposal so you could fight the doom and be the heroes you want to be.
0: Amazing. So you were talking about Dragonlance before. So you could you could make it a Dragonlance setting if you really wanted to because that kind of, kind of fits the bill, doesn't it, in a way? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah what, what sort of things and stories do people while using this like what sort of apocalypses could you have in the game
1: mm. so it can be literal apocalypses like the world is ending a dragon is going to eat the earth or <laughs> yeah. it could even be something more intimate like the end of a marriage or wow. the arrival of conquistadors who are going to change the culture of mm-hmm. a home that you love. So it can really run the gamut of experiences and settings. But I think what is important is that it will be about the loss of something you value and mm-hmm. that this will be a fight to make sure that it doesn't come to pass.
0: Amazing that's so interesting what you're saying about the loss of a marriage or something i hadn't i hadn't thought or interpreted it that way so that's that's really even more exciting and interesting to think all the different things you could do with that um so if we were sitting at the table to to, to kind of play a game where do we start how do we start playing so
1: on the GM side, because this is a game that requires a Game Master, they mm-hmm. would need to have an idea for the Doom and then come up with three Omens, which are basically manif- manifestations of that Doom across mm-hmm. the world. So let's say the Doom is about a dragon eating the earth, and that would mean that some Omens could be the magma is bubbling, there are cults hoarding jewels, and there are the good dragons are dying out so a little bit dragon lines um (laughs) on the character player side they would need to create their characters so they would need Mm -hmm. to figure out what are their aspects what are their skills and there are important stats such as the approach which is basically how you uh create or success in task whether it's creatively carefully or with concerted effort. So basically, that one plus your skills help inform how your skill checks will be successful. Uh, basically, it's that's the most uh, compact way of describing how the game goes. Uh, it is quite tight and compact uh mm-hmm. there are also lots of interesting magic so some of the magics require certain requirements to replenish like there's okay. one spell where you have to eat a door <laughs> so that you could get more slots for that magic so i think it's one of okay. the most interesting parts of that game as well
0: okay fantastic uh so we've had a question uh coming through somebody said they've not played a pre-apocalyptic game they've always played it kind of post-apocalypse um are there resolutions obviously because people are trying to prevent it is it possible that the apocalypse happens or
1: yeah um there is actually there's a section in the book that goes over what happens if the apocalypse comes to pass so there are several ways they could go about it one is that uh they actually rewind time back but something really bad happens as a result maybe a loved one dies maybe a plague happens so there is kind of a cost to making sure that this apocalypse doesn't actually happen another one is to actually accept it that the world ended and create eulogies for what has passed you could either choose to create a new world from this or you could choose to persistently live in the world that you created and find out more dooms that would happen as a result of what happened earlier
0: wow this feels really deep almost like a therapy session you know like you've heard again as you let it happen how did you come up the with the idea for this game what where, where
1: did it start i've always had games that were kind of about yearning, about loss So some of my earlier mm-hmm. games were all about that. I think this is just a natural evolution of that mm-hmm. uh, Some of my earlier games dealt with about your life is ending so you have to make sure that you have a legacy to pass on and mm-hmm. that kind of translated into the world is ending so you have to make sure that you fight for it. So that's basically how the concept for it happened and play testing
0: this game how how long did that take? kind of playing it and, and trying it out especially with the the real-time clock mechanic because that's something quite interesting and innovative for
1: me it took a long time one of the reasons was because the game was actually created um 2019 so it originally had a really compact zine version that was like 10 mm-hmm. percent of the length of the whole game as it as it was finalized And we already started playtesting then, but it was a different piece altogether. And as it evolved during various iterations, we would keep playtesting it. So you could even say that it had a playtest period from
0: 2019 to 2021. Amazing. And uh, with the... With the game, so did it evolve and change much during playtesting? Or was it was it quite similar from the beginning to the end? Because I know some games, they kind of stay the core of it stays the same and other games on their playtesting journey come out the other end completely different. So what was what was the experience like
1: for you? There were certain elements of the game that were kept consistent like Mm -hmm. the use of approach and skills to do the skill checks and -hmm. the concept of having doom but later on i added stuff like the omens um i cleaned up how the real-time clock would work because uh the real-time clock would advance or there were certain um, slots for the doom clock to advance uh, certain mm-hmm. steps so I had to adjust that so it still feel uh, tense while at the same time not too tense so that the players would feel discouraged
0: mm-hmm. of course and with the doomsday clock we talk in maybe a bit more detail about how that works um, so as you say it's, it's a real-time clock so if we're sitting down to play for four hours that's the time we're playing yes
1: okay (laughs) if you decide yeah yeah, if you decide how much time you want that's a tango play
0: and how do you kind of set up and pace the game you bearing that clock in mind like how, how does it work
1: So it depends whether you run a one-shot or over several campaigns. And Mm -hmm. it also depends on the amount of time you run it because that would determine how many stops or how many steps there are in the Doom Clock. So as you go through the steps, you go closer to the apocalypse. The number Mm -hmm. of steps is determined by the time you want to play. So let's say you want to play for three hours. I believe that would be six steps every 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. So every 30 minutes, there would be a... A moment where you would roll dice based on mm-hmm. the omens that are still active and if there are any that are i think five or a six then you come closer to the apocalypse because it would eat up the steps that would uh, be in the next rest of the clock so basically if you have more omens that are not resolved you will eat up the clock much faster and that would mean that the doom arrives closer
0: Okay. So for the players, resolving those omens and interacting with them is really urgent and pressing. So I imagine when playing this, that urgency changes the way people play games, because I we've all been in a and d game where we've spent three or four hours planning how we're going to do the thing and not doing the thing. Was that part of the motivation <laughs> for the design?
1: Um, Yeah, it was actually. I wanted it to be solutions-oriented. I wanted to make sure that players felt attention. And what was also important to me was that the world felt a bit more real because the omens were the manifestations of the doom and you would see signs of it in the world. And the world will basically hurtle through its doom regardless of whether the players... um, act or waffle around or go straight into uh problem solving so it feels like the world is lived in regardless of the player actions and making sure that the setting feels alive
0: yeah i really um because i've recently started running games and for me this system felt really good for pacing because pacing is something i kind of stress and, and worry about and also what you said about having a real living world in it, because, um, you know, sometimes we all plan a nice campaign and then if the players, you know, want to go and do something else over here, I think that's great what you said, that the world is going to keep doing the thing regardless of kind of what the players do. Do you have any kind of advice or guidance for if somebody's new to running games and they want to to try out uh, playing ARK, what recommendations oh. and guidance would you give to them?
1: Yeah, so there's actually some extensive um, Game Master guidance in maybe the last chapter of the book so it goes over mm-hmm. things like uh, being uh, comfortable in your doom leaning on the omens and making sure it manifests in your world so just making sure that um, you internalize how this world will end and you don't need to be super specific on the detail but you need to remember and use that as the backbone and to make it easier there are also some basically principles that can help guide you such as allowing players to actually pitch in to help you like say you need an npc name or you need descriptions about the settlement you're going to uh some other principles include just having fun just letting go not letting perfectionism get in the way of running a fun game
0: yes that's a that's an excellent tip yes <laughs> With uh, so we're talking about the game as well. So we talked about how the clock is ticking, the, the doom, the, the doom, the apocalypse, whatever is on its way. And we know this via the, the omens. So mechan- we've had a question come in. So mechanically, how do you resolve the omens? So yeah, what does that what does that look like?
1: yeah it does become lore wise so it's basically up to gm fiat whether the omens have been resolved or not so Mm -hmm. let's say the omen is about cultists hoarding gold and other jewels so If they fight the cultists and kill them, that's one way to resolve the omen. If they kill the supply line and make sure that the jewels and the gold don't get to the cultists, that's also another solution. Or if you convince the townspeople to rise up against the cult, that's also another solution. So basically, it's kind of making sure it's not pigeonholed and there are many ways to suggest or sorry to resolve the omen. Okay. And so
0: if an omen's resolved, like you say, that kind of can help slow down the clock and make it less, less stressful and urgent. Yes. Okay. Fantastic. Thank you for that. And we briefly mentioned character creation as well and kind of the uh, core mechanics of the game. If we could go into a little bit more detail uh, on that. So the way skill checks work and the way you build your characters, if we could go into a little bit more depth about that. So with character yeah. creation, what elements are there to
1: them again? So basically you have the approach scores, whether you solve mm-hmm. problems creatively, concertedly, or with careful effort. So basically okay. you, these are the base stats that your character has. You also have 18 skills. Um, okay. So this could be trade, this could be education or weaponry or, um, Yeah, those kinds of skills, uh, Mm -hmm. fantasy skills, they tend to be. So when you are uh, basically... Undergoing a skill check, you add your approach to your skill. So let's say you're using the weaponry skill in a creative way, you're being very flashy, or you're Mm -hmm. doing um, unusual uh, ways of utilizing a sword. Basically, this is how you approach your skill. Um, Mm -hmm. You must roll uh, under or, yeah, under the that number so your skill plus approach so that it's a success so let's say your approach score is two and you have a two in the weaponry skill so you need to roll under four so it can actually become really hard to meet the success This Mm -hmm. is how bonds could help. So basically, you can ask help from your fellow players and your relationships will be the one to determine how much help they could give. So that's an easy way to make sure that it gets easier to resolve a skill check. Now, Mm -hmm. if your skill check is higher than your approach and your skill number, it fails. And if it's equal to that number, they have a choice of either Mm -hmm. succeeding with a negative effect or failing with, with a positive effect. So let's say you succeed with a negative effect, you're doing flashy moves on your sword. So it could be that your sword becomes a little bit warped because of the pressure that you're exerting on it, or it gets stuck in a monster. And it's either the player or the GM who suggests this. So it could be a really interesting way of adding some spice to how skill checks are made.
0: Mm-hmm. I like that the players can add in as well because I find players are always the best at uh, giving themselves negative consequences in any game I've run, particularly a horror game. They always think <laughs> of far worse things to do themselves than I can imagine because they're like, oh no, that probably means this is going to happen to me. And you're like, yes, it is now. <laughs> so <laughs> it's nice to see that works in there. So this feels quite kind of rules light and simple. So, like you say, you just have those two stats it's quite narratively controlled that that you roll under are there any other kind of key rules or things that
1: we should know before starting a session Uh, so how combat is resolved is basically the players always go first and their intent their kind of action is basically how their actions will uh, be sequenced and also affect uh, what kind of effects that will happen in the combat ground. So they Mm -hmm. could either attack someone, or they could set up skills that other players will use later on, or they could do something out of the box, like say um, climb on a box to spy on the enemies on the top of the cliff. So all of those are valid ways to uh, face combat in this game.
0: Fantastic. Um, as well as mechanics and mechanics are obviously very important to games because we need them but also I'd love to talk about how pretty the book is because <laughs> 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 the first thing this is the first thing that caught my eye when I saw it it is so beautifully done could you talk about the art and the graphic design and the the styling of the game and what your inspirations were for that because it is just so stunning
1: So even before I was a game designer, I was already a visual and graphic artist. So I was doing things like laying out reports for rebel groups in the Philippines. So it's a lot of interesting um, stuff. And basically that usually informs me on how I will approach a project. I want it to be legible. So having good graphic design leads into that. So it's not just pretty, Mm -hmm. it's making sure that it's readable, Mm -hmm. that it is um, good on the eyes, that it also um, affects how certain concepts are communicated. So basically that was the main driving force behind the graphic design. The art, are basically a collection of um, artworks that I've done. So these are quite uh, passion projects of mine, passion mm-hmm. items of mine. So I really wanted to have an art direction that basically tries to tell a story with each image in the book. So I hope that was successful, and I'm really glad that you liked the visual design of the book. I absolutely
0: do. So, just to clarify, so people are aware, you did everything with this book. So the the game design, the artwork, the graphic design, it's everything.
1: Yes, I did have the help <laughs> of editors though, oh, yeah. um, Fiona Geist and Jared Crater, who were wonderful mm-hmm. dealing with my horrible mess of a Google Docs file. Oh, yes. <laughs>
0: okay. Well, yeah, a good editor is an excellent thing to have. But yeah, I i mean, I find it so visually stunning. And I totally agree with what you say. The way that role-playing games are laid out helps people to kind of understand it. And I think especially for a book like this that is more accessible for newer players, perhaps more rule-light, that's even more... Uh, important because these aren't people that are used to picking up a role playing book and looking for the information so yeah I I, maybe I was being a bit flippant saying it's so pretty it is so pretty but I do understand how the visual design you know impacts the user's you know experience of of playing the game so uh, not to downplay that in any other way Um, but this book has been uh, you know really successful the kickstarter had over two thousand backers when it came out And I believe it's, um, I've obviously read the English version, but is it available in many other languages? Would I be right to say?
1: Yes, it is. It's available in Italian, uh, Mm -hmm. which has a bonus adventure. So it's a really wonderful book. It's also available in Japanese with Hobby Chipman. I believe they also have a live play of the game with several voice actors. And it's also recently available in French. So they had a successful crowdfunding project that made sure that it was able to be produced. Perfect. So
0: that's that's really great. It's so great to have a game that's successful and available so many different languages. That's wonderful to have. Um, if people are interested in uh, picking up the book, so if they've heard uh, about it, where's the best place for them to to pick up a copy?
1: So if you want the hefty book to hold in your hands and to caress and put on your pet, you I should do. go to <laughs> you should go to the Exalted Funeral website. So they're the publisher of the game. Mm-hmm. If you want the digital copy, you should go to my itch page, momatoes.itch.io/arc. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'll put that
0: on the screen. So uh, if you're listening to the podcast, link is in the show notes, and if you're watching us live, there in the comments now, so you can take a look there. There is also a free demo version on your itch page. I noticed, which is really useful. So if you're if you're looking at it and you want a little bit more information before committing to buy, that's also available and having a look there. Um, thank you so much for talking about Arc. Are there any other Things you want to kind of shout out and mention about it to wrap up, or are there any questions I should have asked that I didn't that you want to share?
1: Um, sure. So I'm still continuing on my game designer journey. I'm working on some secret projects for now, okay. but there is one that I want to share. It's basically the quiet year but with competitive elements. So you are atop a top of vast, majestic creature and you try to cooperate, but there is a traitor in your midst. So I'm really excited about that project.
0: And where's the best place for people to kind of follow and, and you know, follow you or online to find out about future projects?
1: Yeah, they could go to my website, momatoes.com. I also have social media presence where I post random doodles and memes <laughs> it's at twitter.com slash tomatoes
0: perfect thank you so much
1: um and i always
0: ask uh people before they go if you have any kind of recommendations uh or other tabletop rpgs you would like to share with other people and the rules are it can't be dungeons and dragons because this is not dnd <laughs> show and it can't be a game that you've made because we've just spent some time talking
1: about your game So, what if I recommend 99 games? Uh, we have a website called Across the dash RPGC, which is basically a database of Southeast Asian made games. So, they could be OSR. They could be indie games. There are a lot of variety of games people can produce and even support. And this was even any nominated and also Diana Jones Award nominated.
0: Amazing, fantastic. Uh, I found that really useful. Um, So when you go on the website, it just randomly kind of generates something or you can choose from categories. Uh, So it's a really great way of sharing games that you might not find otherwise. So thank you so much for creating this and and sharing it. It's a really great resource uh, for me for sure. well, I think that's bringing us up to the end of our time. Thank you so much for coming on to talk to me. I think ARC is such a beautiful game, and I'm so excited to play it for the first time. And um, thank you so much for creating the game and coming in to talk to me about it.
1: Yeah, thank you, Jessica, for having me.
0: Anytime. And when your new project starts up, so yeah, you know, would you say the a quiet, ES-inspired sort <laughs> of game? Please do come back <laughs> and tell us all about it here. We'd love to have yes. you back thank you to everyone who was watching and listening as well we will be back next week uh with raccoon sky pirates who we had to cancel last week due to illness but we'll be back next week uh same time same place wherever you're watching or listening to this thank you so much for your time that's all for this week bye